0: Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the good good podcast the golf podcast that talks about quite a bit of stuff that other golf podcasts usually don't though sometimes they do and we also sometimes talk about stuff that they talk about more often that they do though we don't
1: it's not it's clunky isn't it it's really it? narrowing this is the problem down With the truth adrian <laughs> it's complex isn't it it is should we just go We've got with a wide array of interests the golf and we podcast want to talk about all of them so talks about stuff that others don't I think you're really you nailing true. it you were nailing it just keep going
0: Rod Murray with a hand on the tiller, uh, which is frightening as we sail headlong into the sometimes stormy waters that are the sea of golf. Lots to talk about, as is always the case with the world's most intriguing game. We have a special guest to help us talk about it all today, some network cross-promotion when we welcome Dr. Kelly Price to the show to talk about stuff, including her podcast On the Tee with Dr. P, which if you haven't listened to, is on you. You only have yourself to blame available at all the major podcast platforms. Before we bring in Dr. P though, it's a pleasure as always to say hello to my co-host and fellow golf nerd, Adrian Logue. Logue, a big week with some terrific sport to be had, it must be said, watching the Women's Open from Royal Troon, brutal weather and some outstanding golf. Sometimes I reckon us golf fans, we're a bit like NASCAR fans. We kind of watch for the accidents in a way. (laughs) Yeah, to see the pros struggle. It's cruel, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Really enjoyed the Women's Open this weekend. uh, That was the best golf on TV this weekend, bar none. Yeah, well, we might come to some of that a little bit uh, later on. It was
0: indeed fantastic and a fairy tale finish, which is usually a cliche. And cliches are cliches for a reason. This one really was a fairy tale finish, beaming in through the wonders of technology. All the- oh, hang on a minute. Where can people find us?
1: Oh, they can find you at Rod underscore Mori on here Twitter most of the time, or, Truth be told. or here at <laughs> 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 Talking Golf Compound, just haunting the hallways here at uh, Talking Golf Central. And uh, also TalkingGolf.com. You can find links to this show and all the other shows, including On the Tea with Dr. P. Twitter. And uh, you can get me on uh, at Adrian Logue on Twitter. And And at your website, Adrian Logue, for your
0: photography, which is stunning, I must be said. I make lots of jokes about you, but your photography is fantastic. It's high praise. It's about as good as it gets with me. It's pretty good. So uh, now, beaming in through the wonders of digital technology, all the way from Tennessee in the US of A, Dr. Kelly Price. Dr. P is a professor. I, I copied and pasted this from your bio on the women's golf mag. Dr. P-, Dr. P is a professor who completed her PhD in human ecology with a concentration in retail and consumer sciences. And I mentioned that for a specific reason. There's some stuff I want to talk to you about. That golf's been a lifelong passion for her. If you've ever heard her on, her, on the T podcast, any of the episodes with her mum you'll understand where that love for the game came from. What a legend Dr. P. Senior is. Dr. P., good to have you back. Really looking forward to chatting today and lots to talk about, as I said.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be back. And yes, my mom is... Certainly a force to be reckoned. That's just (laughs) a question about that.
0: So on the podcast, and your mum, has she become a bit of a cult hero? How's it going, the podcast? We talked about it, I think, what, six or seven months ago, and you started it Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. four or five months ago. You're doing it monthly, Mm -hmm. generally, I think. Mm -hmm. How's it going? Mm -hmm. How are you enjoying it? How are the numbers going? What are you hoping to achieve? Is it achieving what you were hoping for it to achieve?
2: Oh, absolutely. Any any um, exposure for women's golf is, is going to be a good thing, I believe. So, yeah, and we throw in a little academic perspective here and there and, and make it just make more sense to the world, you know, how golf fits into a, a little more than just statistics or bios or whatever. There, there's a bigger element there, and, and we explore that a little bit. So it's, it's been fun to do for sure, and I've had a lot of good feedback on it as well.
0: Good to hear. Mm-hmm. Good to hear. Who listens? Yeah. Who's listening?
2: A little bit of everybody. I've heard uh, email or I've gotten some emails from coaches, from, um, you know, people in the industry or, you know, people down the road, actually, <laughs> the, you know, local country clubs saying, oh, I didn't know you were doing this. Can you help us so-and-so, you know, do something? We <laughs> you know, we're trying to do it at our club." So. Um, a little bit of everybody. It's, it's been fun.
0: That's encouraging. I'm particularly encouraged to hear of one of the local clubs getting in touch to ask about, mm-hmm. well, I assume mm-hmm. broadly, how to sort of mm-hmm. change cultures, mm-hmm. which is kind of, I guess, what we're on about a lot of the time here because your own club doesn't escape, does it? Criticism?
2: No. No, absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. not.
0: <laughs> How's that I'll been for good. you?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, maybe they're not listening yet. I don't know, but um, – yeah, well, there's a lot of changes that could happen at even my own clubs. And, you know, they've done some good things. Um, but, yeah, there's still room for improvement everywhere in there.
0: <laughs> when we talk about clubs and all that sort of stuff, essentially, mm-hmm. if you take the emotion out of it, what we're talking about is business. So, Dr. Mm-hmm. P, what's the business case for clubs, either not changing culture from a predominantly exclusionary standpoint when it comes to women, mm-hmm. and what's the business case for changing culture when mm-hmm. it comes to being exclusionary towards women?
2: Sure. You know, one of the more recent studies that I've, I've read had to do with um, female leadership on corporate boards, for example. Um, now, this was made mainly within Fortune 500 companies and bigger uh, companies around the world But every time that there was a female or more than one on this board or in some sort of leadership, then the value of that company went up. Whether it was culturally, socially or economically, um, something happened in a positive way for that company. You know, at my own club, we don't have um, very much uh, female leadership or uh, participation on committees or anything like that. And it's not for lack of, you know, wanting to, you know, from, from some of our members, but it just doesn't happen. So it's a little unfortunate. And, and probably some of the perspectives that some other players could give, uh, including women, would be helpful. So um, the business of, of country clubs and clubs would, according to the research anyway, benefit from, from having a, a more diverse group at the, at, at the leadership level.
0: Hmm. The problem for golf clubs, I'm not sure the structure is necessarily the same in America, but here in Australia, the problem for golf clubs in a lot of ways in terms of being a business is the membership model makes each individual member think that they are personally the owner of the club and therefore it's their personal plaything. And people who are otherwise very successful in business by understanding that you need to separate (laughs) your attachment and emotional ownership of your business to what the business actually does seem to forget that when they get to golf. Is that a similar sort of thing, do you think, in America? Because that's what it seems to me. It's not Mm – the the business model is not a great one, but it doesn't need to be Mm -hmm. as difficult as it often is if you just removed some of the emotion and the the personal stamps that people seem to want to leave on golf clubs. They bring their own prejudices where Mm -hmm. they wouldn't in business otherwise.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. I I do think at least I can speak for the clubs that I've either been a member of or have worked at. Yeah, it it seems like there's there's maybe one group of of people who tend to run the show and, (laughs) you know, you may not be able to – well, actually, you know, it depends on how willing those folks are to hear other, other groups or other members. You know, for example, the, the club that um, got in touch with me, it was about, hey, we want you to help us uh, conduct a membership survey. And here's the survey, and we want to ask them these things of what we can do better, you know, all of this type of stuff. And I thought to myself, man, I wish my own club would do this. I haven't received a survey from them in 20 years so I think that's a a wonderful step that they're taking to to be able to listen to their members and, and make some possible real changes that involved everybody. At least they got to to hear some responses, you know, from from their entire membership instead of just one little group.
1: Mm. Well, if it's in, like any other corporate survey, then they'll just toss it out now, and that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They'll learn yeah, they'll no. Sound like yeah. they were going to <laughs> that was <laughs> interesting. That no wasn't well, what we wanted to problem. hear.
0: Yeah, that's it, right. Didn't confirm our biases. Adrian is the problem. <laughs> that those running the business of a golf club actually tend to be doing it voluntarily, and that changes the nature of the relationship.
1: Yeah, they're their own customer in a weird way, aren't mm-hmm. they? And so they just keep finding themselves giving them giving in to their own demands. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. I, I want this, <laughs> I, I want this, and therefore... And, and a lot of people get on... To committees for those wrong reasons. It's because they want to mm-hmm. be remembered for something, or and and so their big project is putting in a path or a new garden or something like <laughs> <Good> that. <Lord. laughs>
2: uh, a bit. So, you just
1: throw up a little bit in the back of your mouth as you said that. God. And so those bigger picture things about the the overall governance of the club mm. isn't isn't as big a deal, but I think a lot of directors in Australian golf clubs at least go through training now before mm-hmm. like because it's a proper directorship. That's it's right. A, it,
0: is that mandatory now? If yeah, it's not,
1: it should be, shouldn't it? Yeah, there it was a time there. when it wasn't, but that is now mandatory. Yeah, so, I think that's uh, that's a step in the right direction. Important and, stuff.
0: Why do you keep fronting up and paying your money then, Kelly? You haven't. You said you haven't had a story from I, your club in twenty years. It's unlikely, based on some of the things I heard in your podcast, that you'll get a Christmas card from them. So right. that's not coming in the mail. <laughs> no, in either. fact,
2: they ask us for more money. <laughs>
0: that's right. So, so why do, <clears throat> you're a customer? Why do you keep running up and buying the
2: product? That's a really interesting question, especially asking that to a consumer behaviorist, because that is where we bring in so many of the big consumer behavior concepts of things like attitude or motivation, you know, why we buy things. Um, you know, I've been there since I was a little girl and it's a part of my life and it's a part of where I go and what I do and who I'm around and, and that type of thing. So it's, it's something that's just always been there and it's kind of hard to imagine it not being there uh, as, as a part of, of, of almost not every day, but most days of my life. And, and so that's how we are. You could almost say with so many brands, you know, you're loyal to it mm-hmm. and, and you go back and go mm-hmm. back. And sometimes the things that make you a little crazy about it is not as important as the fulfillment or the motivation of why you're there.
0: So they're not going to lose you as a customer because you've got that emotional tie. That doesn't Probably sound like not. a policy. Sounds, it
1: sounds like Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, it more. does sound a bit it like Stockholm Syndrome, but I think everybody can understand that. It's, you know, it's like members of your family. You yeah, don't get to yeah. choose them, and they might drive you mad most of the time, mm-hmm. but ultimately you yeah. don't feel any malice towards them or, mm-hmm. or you put up with it. That's It doesn't sound like a model to grow a business. Would you buy into that if you hadn't been there before? Because that's the new customer, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
2: And that's that's interesting because, of course, in, in marketing, as we always say, it's, it's a lot easier and, well, maybe not easier, but sometimes easier and more cost-effective to maintain the customers that you have mm-hmm. rather than getting new ones. Those are much more expensive to find. And many of the memberships do come from a word-of-mouth type of situation. There's very little marketing sometimes coming out of clubs. It's more of a a brand image. If you look up these exclusive clubs, even just in Tennessee, like in Nashville and, and some of the higher income areas, it is a marketing a little bit, but it's it's also so much of an image with the slick websites and, and all of that. So um, it's it's a little bit of both, I think.
0: I think you've just touched on something that's a bit of a bugbear of yours, isn't it, Logue? These unnecessary extras that clubs bolt on to make themselves look and
1: feel more prestigious or important than they are. Yeah, like I hear it quite a lot in clubs around Sydney as well where they feel like you're going to attract non-golfers by having the experience be overwhelming in the sort of clubhouse area. So when they come in, they think... What an amazing place this is! Look, they've got a fountain going there, and there's gardens, <laughs> and there's there's people dining out on the lawn, and there's like this, and uh, they're going to get a taste of that sort of club uh, sophistication, and and want to like come back for more of that, and and then I guess for existing members, there's this. Um, I'd be interested to hear from Kelly on. Some sort of sunk cost fallacy that we have as golfers, where we we stay with a club because we've invested so much money in it over the years, even though we don't really get a direct return on all the money we ourselves put in. Um, but you just feel like you've just you've put so much money into a club, you might as well. You don't want to go through that again with another mm-hmm. club. Is that is there some truth mm-hmm. to that? Do you think, Kelly?
2: Yeah, I think so. My club is actually the only one in our town. Um, now, we're not a huge town, but it, it'd take a little bit to go somewhere else. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting of how you say that about the – it's like a picturesque type of thing with the fountains and everybody's eating and, ha, 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 we're having this great time and, you know, all of that. But it really comes down to those external influences, as we say, in consumer behavior, those things that are going on outside of the consumer brain, and those are things like your reference groups, people – who are in your life that give you opinions, or people who you see a lot and and you know play golf with or whatever, and it just becomes a part of you, and that starts to influence other parts of your life and things that you consume and your consumption behavior in general. So, so it all is a big connection and a almost an affective response, a feeling type of response.
0: Kelly, retail, as I've said, your specialty, why do we buy the things we buy? Fascinating mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. endless reams of, of rabbit holes to go down there. We don't often think, mm-hmm. I suppose, of our golf club membership as a retail product, but that is exactly what it is, isn't it?
2: Very much so. Very much so. It is an emotional um, type of purchase, but it's it's also a thinking kind of purchase. So, and you know we have something so interesting consumer behavior this may be a little too much <laughs> for for this but it's it's the consumer decision process and this is like the rock star of consumer behavior and consumers go through this five step process and you know this is this is how we buy things whether it's a pack of gum all the way up to a club membership or a car we consumers go through these processes um, and and that's how we think about things, we categorize things and we realize we need this particular thing and we search information about it. The purchase itself is actually the fourth step of that consumer decision process. So, so yeah, a lot goes into, to a membership or any type of, of, of process like that
1: is, is the fifth step regret grief. Believe
2: it or not? The next
0: five <laughs> steps is that what happens then?
2: It is the fifth step is um, post purchase satisfaction or dissatisfaction and consumption guilt is in (laughs) that fifth step if that happens, yes.
0: (laughs) That's what people say about boats. There's two great days owning a boat, the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Everything in between (laughs) is just a torturous nightmare. (laughs) I think people say the same things about swimming pools. Sometimes the houses with swimming pools sometimes. Has the golf business, whether by dumb luck or by being smart, have they tapped into what it is that people want to buy? Lots of clubs are pretty successful, aren't they, in that way? I think probably more so Mm -hmm. America than here. Of my limited knowledge of the American country club notion, it's a somewhat Mm -hmm. different thing to what we have here in that way. Have they tapped into what people want to buy? They're selling a big expensive product, aren't they? The three most expensive things most people will buy will be a house, a car, and then probably a golf club membership.
2: Yeah, that's true. uh, You know, I almost feel like that, could possibly be geographic a little bit, uh, you know, here in the South may be a little bit different than say some of the clubs out West or even, you know, Florida may be different from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I know when I worked in Colorado uh, at the club out there, a resort club out there, um, it was so much of a, it's almost like it was on little bubble. It's little village there. It was a hotel, five-star hotel but it also had you could live right there and you know we had 20 shops on the property it was like its own little world and, and so they sold it that way and, and for them it it worked like a charm mm.
1: mm-hmm. never seen the attraction of that i don't, I don't know why like the gated that gated community mentality it's, is is something that it's, it's never taken off here in australia
0: has it it's been tried a couple of times mm-hmm. but it hasn't been particularly so you don't see a lot of gated communities here.
1: Mm-hmm. Seems- There's a utopian sort of ideal, I think, that they're going for there, like a uh, Truman Show type of... It's a, <laughs> it's a safety thing. We're safe in the bubble. We're protected by what we've That's achieved right. We've got life.
0: everything we need mm-hmm. here. Everything we need here. We don't need to go into the outside yeah. world and be threatened by some of the unknowns out there, everything here.
2: And, you know, that goes way back. The history of, of country clubs is pretty long, and, and they are quite storied, actually, and... It, it was the same way, very much of a hierarchical situation, only certain people, income levels, um, even, you know, gendered, obviously. Um, So, yeah, this this mentality has been around for a long time. Well, the
0: entire basis of a club is exclusion, isn't it, Mm -hmm. Kelly? That's the whole Mm -hmm. point of a club is that it only Mm -hmm. lets in those who are deemed worthy of being let in, and that can be done Mm -hmm. by finance. Mm -hmm. At times in the history here in Australia, golf clubs have made their decisions on memberships based on everything from religion to politics, mm-hmm. to profession, it was it was, it was sure. well known. I don't know whether it's still the well, it's certainly not still the. I don't know whether it, uh, when this sort of finished, but it was, there's a well known club here in Sydney whose whose unspoken policy was there was to be no memberships amongst the three P's: politicians, priests, and police. If you were mm. in any of those businesses, you couldn't be—you couldn't become a member of that golf club. Oh,
1: okay, perverts mm. are in
0: though, Perverts that's, all- that's fine. <laughs> pedophiles, no problem. Priests, police, politicians—forget it. They're, well, there are there's subcategories in there, isn't there? You might cross over. So, which one takes <laughs> precedence? I don't know. Um, but yeah, and so that whole notion of a club is based on exclusion. When you're retailing a product of exclusion, are there different ways to sell that? product. I'm interested in that retail experience and why people are buying because uh, uh, it's not something that appeals to me. That doesn't mean that it doesn't have broader appeal, but I'm much happier at my tier three golf club. I feel much more comfortable there than I would at a much more expensive and fancy golf club. Even if I could afford to join, it wouldn't be my choice necessarily. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
0: is there some different way that that gets on? Does it attract different types of consumers? I'm interested in that.
2: Yeah, you know, we could look to the Luxury retail market, for example, like um, Gucci or Chanel, or you know any of these Louis Vuitton types of of items and Lexus just and uh, at,
0: Mercedes, yeah. for the blokes out there.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well,
0: tools. I'm only kidding. Just <laughs> <'cause>.
2: <laughs> But if we look at, at their business models, somebody like Chanel, for example, there's only so much online that you can buy. You still have to. Go to the boutiques to be able to buy certain things, you know, mm. the apparel or, or certain bags or whatever. You can buy a few things online, not that I know this right, but <laughs> no, <of laughs> you course can not. buy the, the makeup. and What are the four things, things like you that? can buy
0: online, Kelly, that you've already got?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. But you, you, actually, you know, when, when Gucci first went online to sell their product, everybody thought, oh, this is terrible that they have taken the exclusivity out of it. Nobody's going to buy this or, or either that or everybody's going to, and then that'll diminish the brand, you know, and that hasn't happened at all. In fact, it's gone the other way. And so I, sometimes I wonder how Chanel will continue with that. Um, maybe, maybe they're going to change, but um, so yeah, it, it does bring in maybe more consumers because um, you can buy a Gucci bag online, and it's, it's no problem, but you can't buy the Chanel one. Um, and maybe their motivations are different for why they do that Partly a change
0: digital world as well, though, Kelly? Is there something in that? It's just the fact that the world's changed. You can understand why a traditional retailer mm-hmm. 10 years ago might mm-hmm. say going online would be a mistake. It opens it up to everybody when we don't want to be open to everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's a different landscape now, isn't it? I mean, if you're not online, mm-hmm. you kind of don't exist in some ways. Right. So,
2: yeah, and of course, with, with COVID, that's, that's brought <clears throat> about such a different <throat> um, perspective as far as not just consumer behavior, but retailing in general. That I read this the other day that I thought was so interesting that with COVID, post-COVID, um, consumers, about 70% of consumers will pick up a new habit of some kind. And of those 70%, almost half, 40-something percent, those habits will stick. And that's, that's pretty significant. Oh, yeah. that's, that's, for example, I decided to you know, buy my groceries online and about 40% of people will continue to do that. So I, that, that I, changes things.
1: I thought it was going to be something like showering less. or less. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <It's> a, drink, <laughs>
1: Drinking more. A, drinking more. Drinking <laughs> less interest <laughs> in my own health. Yeah. Uh, none of those things.
0: Uh, mm. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It's, uh, it's really interesting. That, mm-hmm. that whole Chanel idea, interestingly, Titlist did that for a long time. To, to me, if you're talking oh, about brands and yeah, connections people the make, Titleist has always been the golfer's brand. If you wanted to- Bricks mortar shop. That's right. If yeah. you wanted to buy- Well, not just a bricks and mortar A pro shop yeah. at a golf course was the only place yeah. you could buy
1: most Titleist mm-hmm. product. They stopped that- Creating uh, that uh, artificial eventually. exclusivity or sort of artificial- It's the uh, golfer's uh, brand, isn't it?
0: Real golfers play Titleist, and real golfers don't need to go online right. to shop because they're always at the golf course, and the golf course has a shop that has the Titleist <laughs> gear. So, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. why would you need to have it online? Mm-hmm. That's, I think, kind of the thinking. So, and that's changed. Yeah, and that's, that's
2: so much. Yeah, that's so much about self-concept. That's what that is in consumer behavior of how buying something makes us feel. And so, self-concept can be such a motivator as, oh, I'm going to go buy this. Sports car because it's going to make me feel young type mm-hmm. of thing. Same mm-hmm.
0: thing. It doesn't, by the way. I've been in sports cars. You don't <laughs> actually what you feel is older because when you try to get out, you creak more and find it more difficult because they're too low <laughs> yeah. to. That's right. Too low Can't to the it. ground. Why do we buy Titleist instead of made, Callaway instead of Ping, Mizuno instead of? Uh, whatever, what are we basing those decisions on, Kelly? As consumers, because it's no different to buying mm-hmm. Gucci or Chanel or Mercedes or Toyota or whatever it might be. Right. It's all the same sort well, of concept. A lot of, of,
2: yeah, yeah. A lot of that is learned behavior that my mother did this, so I'm going to do this. Or, you know, you hear it from a friend or, you you know, it could be the marketing. You, you've you learned this. It's called conditioning um, to, to train. And so with marketing and you know, all those types of things we, we learn. And so that gets stored back in your memory and stored back in your brain. And when it's time to buy the golf ball and you're in that consumer decision process, steps one, two, and three, there they are. And, and so that learning comes to the forefront. Oh, I need a, a golf ball and I'm going to buy the Titleist because I've learned that's the quote better one, or that's the one that quote my mom used type of
0: thing. How expensive is that for a company to create that? I think of the money that Titleist pays their players internationally to play the Pro V1 ball and there's no question if you ask mm-hmm. most regular golfers, they would tell you almost to a person whether they play it or not that the Pro V1 is the best ball. Uh, they've got mm-hmm. no data of their it own works, to make keep, that decision. Have they? I, I just doubt keep most playing it them, enough and people And start it to kind play. of works. So how expensive is that and does it pay off? I suppose
2: it depends on the size of the market, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, the exposure of it, seeing it over and over and over again, yes. then then that's part of it. Mm-hmm.
0: We're going to come back to your podcast and the media and women in golf and women in the media and a discussion about that a little bit later. But that what we've just discussed there ties nicely into something that I wanted to chat to you about. Firstly, the Women's Open. Uh, I'll come to you first, Asian. I didn't get to see as much of it as I would like, but my goodness, what a joy to watch Lynx Golf Good players, tough conditions, proper sport, really. <laughs> what, and we forget, I think, most years because we get to see so little of it. But what an absolute pleasure it was to watch that that field. Yeah. Adrian, you first, then then you, Kelly.
1: Yeah, even today, uh, the conditions were completely still. But I watched the first uh, dozen or half a dozen groups uh, go off the first tee. And there's just a lovely strategy to that first hole at Troon where you you can sort of go left and you get a little bit better angle into the green, but there's a couple of fairway bunkers that are there. Uh, And three wood will actually keep you short of those fairway bunkers for most players, but then you can get this little luck of the bounce that it might kick forward and then go into the bunker, and that happened to a couple of players. Uh, But you can go right and there's the beach on the right and some heavy rough, and it's it's not as good an angle. And it's just lovely to watch that. And you could see the players struggling with – the emotion of like being on the first tee and wondering should I should I take three wood or should I smash a driver up there like they're struggling between three wood and driver on a hole which isn't tightly tree lined or anything it's just it's got a strategy that they had to think about and they had to think about from the green backwards and uh, and then you throw in the extra dimension of the wind there and it just. It's complete chaos, and then, <laughs> which is fantastic. Then, then chuck in a major on the and line. make it a yeah, major. Yeah, yeah that's so right. Good luck with all of that. That's right. All that that combination of emotion and the conditions and the challenge that's presented to them, you really get a sense of what's at stake. So that's what makes it great viewing for me all the time. Is just knowing what's at stake. Yeah, joyous joyous to watch, Kelly. I know that you watched an awful lot of it. What uh, what were the
0: highlights mm-hmm. for you? What did you enjoy most about the Women's Open at Troon?
2: Well, I'm number one, glad that they showed so much of it. I was thrilled to see that I got to see almost like six hours in one day, you know, which, which hasn't been true in past years, but the LPGA has made that commitment and I'm so glad that they came through with that. Um, I enjoyed the commentary from, from Laura Davies and Trish Johnson and that was absolutely fantastic to hear. It it made golf real. I think they were saying something to her, um, to to the dame something about, Oh, is that how you played that shot or something? She said, no, actually I duffed it and it just (laughs) turned out really good. You know, And it it just made golf feel so much more real. And, and I always love to see the depth of the LPGA. It's just like, you know, with the winner today, she was 304th ranked in the world and, and now she's won this thing. (laughs) And, and now so many people know her name. I went and, and followed her on Twitter immediately. Um, so I always love to see that because you never know who's going to, to win. Yeah, you have some names that stay in the top a lot, but it, it could be just another Cinderella story like it was last year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, the women's that's open just fun to watch.
1: tends yeah. to produce these amazing. It does, doesn't it? I, I thought c- that was, apart from Tiger's win perhaps, perhaps that, that Women's Open last year was the tournament. Oh, of the Oh, without from- doubt. What a, mm-hmm. b- what an absolute joy to watch that was. She was just mm-hmm. fantastic.
0: I really thought Minjee Lee was going to win this one. I'll be honest. Well, with you. did know. Isn't it interesting?
1: Round. You you get uh, an outsider like a Sophia Popov winning from outside the top 300 in the world, and it's a great story. Women's goal. Mm-hmm. like it, uh-huh. I said This is yeah, yeah. But if it's some somebody commented about this, if it's a man winning from outside the top 300 in the world, everyone's upset. Like we thought <laughs> it was Ben Curtis. And- <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I wonder what, you can't do
2: that. that you know?
0: What is it with that, Kelly? You're partly psychologist. What the hell are we on about as golf fans? Why is it offensive when Ben Curtis wins the Open, but fantastic when Sophie
2: Popov does it? You know, <laughs> I'm not so sure I can give a really good answer to that other than just culture and just everybody likes to see a good story and, oh, isn't that sweet that she won. Type of thing. Um, I don't know. The gendered card just has been there for so long that maybe it's it's still there. You know. What is? But then again, what is? I
0: I've got like what is it? Why is that? I just I don't understand it. The same story. I think people people
1: put more value on the men's majors for whatever reason. Like you you hear this all the time that you know as soon as as soon as the PGA was over, it's like oh we've got. How long however long is it till the next major. Well, no, actually, no, there's, there's, just, there's well, women's over it there. it it just It's yeah. an automatic thing that men's majors are sort of given more, uh, more weight and therefore you can't waste one on a, a rank outsider. Scott uh, Simpson. Yeah. Ben uh, well, Curtis. Oh, fair to go to Scott Simpson. Isn't Harsh, isn't it? <laughs> Harsh. We I mean, jans it twice. We had this discussion ben, with ben, the other week. Ben Curtis. I'm uh, being it. somewhat... Uh, but you can't waste an Open Championship on Ben Curtis, but you might as well waste an Open Championship on Sofia Popov because it's great entertainment and a great story and we enjoyed the tournament.
0: That's horrible when it's vocalised, Kelly. Is he right? That's a truly I ugly thing so. to realise you know, about ourselves, isn't it? But is he right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just so ingrained in language and things like that, you know, with – Why in the world are our digital assistants called Alexa? You know, in this house we call them Echo. (laughs) You know, I mean, why do we assign these gender cards every single time and that's how we perceive the world? I don't know. Is it easier? Um, But yeah.
0: Is it just convenient? Is it just convenient and easier if we both assign roles and accept roles? of a certain gender i put the rubbish out my wife does the dishes that sort of thing
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's conventional it's just quote how it's been but you know i see a lot of hope within just the the younger group this you know we have a new group now it's it's not the millennials anymore we're the millennials are getting older
0: oh, oh God, <laughs> who so is they're it? gone <laughs> i've missed
1: this who you have know- we moved to
2: we have moved to Generation Alpha now. Oh, generation generation alpha, what? Yeah. It's even a bad alpha. name. I was
1: bracing myself and it was it was worse than I imagined. Uh, <laughs> generation <laughs> Alpha. Yeah. Good Lord. Our
2: littlest consumers right now. And, that, you know, what's so good about that is that group, you know, they're very young, very young. Say like my niece who's seven years old, she sees – these women playing and doing the same thing as the guys, and you know, running for vice president, and you know, seeing all of these things, that just becomes normal to them. Uh-huh. Whereas maybe my group and older, not as much.
0: Does it matter what we think now anymore, Kelly? Given that is our, is our time, but you'll meet a lot of resistance. This will go out on Twitter. Well, first thing I'll have, we'll publish this podcast, and a percentage of the audience will not bother pressing play. Because they'll be banging on about women's stuff again. I don't like it when they talk about that. I like it when they talk about architecture or whatever. Mm. So we know that, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Do those people matter? Do we matter? Does our generation matter? Because that's a generational shift you're talking about, isn't it? I think you're right. It is happening. I mean, almost every major of the last couple of years, I've seen at least one or two photos on Twitter taken by a parent of a little girl watching the golf on television. And just making note how important this is, as you said, the golf was on for six hours the important – if you can't see it, you can't be it. It sounds like a throwaway line, but my goodness, it's important, mm-hmm. isn't it? hmm
2: hmm Yeah, I, you know, I do think our generation is still important, and we've got a little bit of the wisdom there, and it's nice to hear some of that, like the Legends Tour players who are, you know, not 20 anymore, but that experience really counts. And, you know, and, and just the – some of the pressure of not, you know, having to perform at whatever level, they just, the golf is fun to them. I see that over and over and over. And, and I think some of the younger women see that the golf is fun. It's fun. It's something to do with your friends. It's, you can get exercise. You can be a pro someday, you know, whether you're on tour or whether you're at the club and get your card and do whatever they see that this can happen. And when they see like, like our winner today uh, with Popov, you know, she persevered as she kept going. Even and her mom said, you know, you've got to, to do this. And so that older generation, her mom told her to go on and she did. And look what happened. Well, it mm-hmm. worked out.
0: If your mum told me to do something, I'd do it too. Some mum have got that power, don't they? <laughs> Dr. B Senior. You better
2: you better do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's exactly right. No arguing there. So that neatly brings us to where I was originally trying to go with this. I thought the golf was fantastic. It was fantastic to see high-level competitive golf, and I thought that was uh, a terrific story. So I thought Minji Lee was going to win. I thought we were going to have an Australian celebration. I really did. Mm-hmm. She will be too. very disappointed, I think, with yep. how things she are If She not show that's, it. She'll no, no, no. Next but week. That's about as good a chance. She's a winner. Just she's as a, good
1: a, as she – She's got she's plenty been. of time. She's so young. and Oodles yeah. of talent. Anyway, yeah.
0: that's a very Australian-centric – point of view. What then becomes interesting, Kelly, we saw Colin Morikawa win the PGA a couple of weeks ago at Harding Park, and whilst we don't know the details, we know broadly that written into his various contracts with his sponsors will be bonuses for winning a major and all sorts of things. We don't know that that's not the case with Sophia Popov, but I think we can probably safely assume it isn't based on evidence at hand, which is, and this is where I want to go. I did an interview with Kari Webb a couple of months ago, uh-huh. who's just such a legend. Humble brag. Uh-huh. Humble brag. Uh-huh. Uh, well, more so promotion, self promotion. Go over to the Talking Golf Network, talkinggolf.com, look up the thing about golf and listen to my edited two hour conversation mm. with Kari. <laughs> the original was closer to three. Extraordinarily uh-huh. generous with her time, but partly because she had no responsibilities to sponsors, Kelly, seven time major winner has no sponsor. Well, she has doesn't a, a, have a hat sponsor. She's been sponsored by a shaft company for a very long time. And staggeringly to me revealed during that discussion that she was asked last year. She expressed an interest in a particular set of golf clubs from a manufacturer and was told that she could have them for this price, which I assume wasn't full retail, but my goodness. Julie Inkster also has no sponsors. We can assume Sophia Popov won't do as well out of her major win financially as what Colin Markawa is going to. So... Is that important, and what does that say to us? I've seen Johnny Miller in the last five years sporting a Callaway bag and promoting their product, and no doubt getting paid. Johnny Miller has not been irrelevant as a relevant as a golfer mm. for many for decades. Carrie
1: Webb has no club sponsor. Mm. I try and imagine, and she still plays. I assume it was via email she got. She got the thing. Oh, it would be a brave rep to say that to Kari Webb's face, wouldn't it? Yeah, they're and I'd 150 I'd just, a club. I just try to imagine both sides of that conversation as well. The the person who had to send the email oh. is, is going, well, let's see how that goes. <laughs> send. Yeah. And then Kari Webb's receiving that email. To her credit, she didn't name them, and yeah. I didn't ask her to no. because mm-hmm. Kari, mm-hmm. you know, she's
0: a strong and intelligent woman. If she'd wanted to name them, she would have, so there was not much point in me asking yeah. her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But And that's to her credit. But it's to their eternal shame. We know that TaylorMade did something similar to InB Park two years ago. And people would say, oh, well, that's fair enough. They've got a policy of no longer supplying free equipment to players who aren't contracted. If those same people are seriously suggesting that Adam Scott couldn't get a TaylorMade three wood for free if he wanted one, <laughs> then th- they, they really need to, to try another sport, perhaps. So what about all of that Kelly, what does that tell us? I think what we've just discussed says that we're making some steps forward, and, and this is going to tell us that there's still an awfully long way to go, perhaps?
2: There is, but I see some movement. Um, and I want to say, now I could be totally wrong on this. I would need to go actually look, but I thought Julie Inkster got a jewelry sponsorship. Um, I could be totally wrong no, on that, but account. it's it's a jewelry. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not golf. Um, same thing with Lydia Co. you know some she's with um, Lululemon now and Lululemon I know Lydia has a bunch of other sponsors like PxG and she's got it all over her shirt and everything but the shirt itself is Lululemon and she's on their website but that's a company that's an active wear. Right. they do yoga and they do mm. you know that type of thing but some of these companies are seeing this this slot shift in Golf isn't that traditional, you know. A lot of people with the plaid pants and the, you know all that stuff oh, anymore.
0: Is the image it's changing, me, Kelly. It, wow. it yeah, is that what yeah, are little image I have to change the wardrobe <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> and we're seeing golf as a as a sport, and a uh, they're athletes. These these women and these men are athletes. It's not just playing a casual game on Sunday anymore. So so I think it's very smart of the players and the Retailers such as Lululemon and ones that aren't conventionally golf getting into that space, you know. Lululemon, I got on their website the other day, and they do have a photo of of Co and she's on there, and um, they do have a section called golf, but the the clothing that's on there really could go almost anywhere on the site. They're they're generally more things that she has been wearing and. And don't you know? Somebody like me, I'm a consumer. I I look at every, almost every single thing the players are wearing every time, you know, in these tournaments. That's And work. I start looking.
0: That's right. Yeah. It's your work. It's, your work. it's a tax write-off. Is that's what your is, work, Kelly.
1: You have to go and you know make some sample purchases. As exactly. Well. Oh yeah. You need yeah, that. For I've your already job. done it. Yeah. I mean,
2: you yeah. <laughs> know, yeah. so so I've looked at Lululemon and PXG and all those things. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think that image change of, of golf in general this is for everyone. It's, it's a sport. We don't have to have the collar, you know, if it's not required kind of thing We're we're wearing leggings that are really cool, you know, that type of stuff. And plus taking that off the course as well. Like it's a lifestyle type of thing instead of we wear this only at the course and, but we don't wear it when we're at home or when we're out somewhere. So, so I think we're seeing a little bit of a, a movement there i'm hoping
1: anyway <laughs> i'm wondering if you can confirm a bias i've got for for me please kelly i i think pxg is a trash company with trash equipment oh and harsh. terrible marketing i'm not a fan of them either. sexist marketing uh-huh. and but but with a uh, like a I sponsor a lot of women more women than most of the other companies yes I would suggest. That, they, yes, they, they do. do but i i think it's part of like trying to sort of Buying the tidy up of. their image or something mm-hmm. like that. I just, I, I, think it's just a trash company. And uh, am I right? Please, please confirm my bias on that. But they do some good. They do some good stuff as well. But no, Hitler patted puppies, mate. It doesn't make everything okay. You I go. don't know Thank that
0: you. that's true. I assume but he patted puppies. I can't imagine. I mean, even Hitler wasn't such a monster that he wouldn't pat a puppy in he? public. He probably kicked him. Private. <laughs> <That's true. But laughs> we've really gone down a rabbit hole, <laughs> Kelly. What do you think about that? Is Adrian right? What, do you, what are your – because they went the out stupid, deliberately –
1: Stupid marketing yeah, and well, just, they're very and, anti-golf. Mm-hmm.
0: They would be what we would call a disruptor, mm-hmm. wouldn't they? And we as as traditional golfers are supposed to
1: not like them. That's mm-hmm. part of, mm-hmm. that's part mm-hmm. of the I, plan. So I, you've fallen for I, it, hook, line and sinker. But all it? of the, the money that you're meant no, to spend on their stupid uh, clubs – Not to mention the, and the, the, the lies they told at the start about we're not going to try and buy our way to the top by sponsoring players. Within a year, they had 15 <laughs> players on the They club. had
2: everybody, yeah. And the
1: ridiculous like lies they say about their technologies and it's just all – like complete nonsense well, about a charge so not I brought can... to you by B H G about way overcharged for clubs. <laughs> I, I I think they're everything that's wrong with golf. But that's so. not a question, is it? That's just a yeah. rant from you,
2: Kelly.
0: Could you not answer well, the question okay. that you didn't no, ask? No, that's
2: okay. That's okay. You know, I have not used the equipment. I I personally probably would not. But then again, you know, I've learned what I like and you know that type of thing. But um, some of the clothes are kind of cute, though.
1: oh that's right they're doing apparel now I'm sorry (laughs) did you just say apparel yeah did I say it right Apparel, apparel, uh, apparel. Uh, it's fancier when you say it that way. It I mean. really is. It makes it almost sound <laughs> French. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Uh, I've got to put on the record: Christina Kim, who's a good friend of the podcast, has been on the podcast before. Yes. She uses PXG yes. and swears by it. She and Christina does. doesn't say stuff because she's getting paid. She says stuff because she was so she loves the gear. And I also know Catherine Kirk, who I spoke to at the Women's Open a couple of years ago, started using PXG. and mm-hmm. She genuinely mm-hmm. loves the gear as well. So well, there's a lot of opinion. I agree. I don't like the misguiding strategy. That mm-hmm. whole disruptor notion. Tra- trash company. The thing about the dis- the thing about the disruptor thing, not just in golf, but the whole disruptor thing mm-hmm. in the mirror. There's something so lazy about it. It seems like every generation discovers this idea of disrupting and thinks it's new. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's like it's it's not. Now that I'm old, it's like this is why old people find this annoying. We've seen mm-hmm. this before. In the sixties <laughs> everyone grew their hair you know right, in the 80s right. everybody cut it short yep. because i feel sorry for young people there's nothing left to really rebel against since everything's kind of been done but this notion of a disruptor is that that's what kind of
1: mm-hmm. it. i had a uh, economics high school economics teacher who wore these big fat brown ties and He was like rocking that in the seventies, but it just he he was waiting. He's going to be waiting a long time for that to come (laughs) back around. But it'll come back around at some point. Do you reckon? Yeah, he well he persisted with it well into the eighties. Wow, it was. There you go. No, we got a bit off
0: uh, off track there. So then coming right back to full circle to almost where we started, Kelly. Are the manufacturers? Is there a business case to be made that what they're doing is right? Is there a return on investment for Colin Morikawa that's not there for Sophia Popov? Or if you wanted to try and compare like the like, um, Minji Lee or, I mean, Colin Morikawa we know is a, a, a gun young player with a profile regardless of having won a major. But is there a business case to be made um, for, what, for that, in, uh-huh. that, that difference in treatment there?
2: You know, I think so. Just we're all consumers here. So we all have an idea of, of what we like and what we don't. So we, most everybody can speak of that. And, you know, I can say just from watching, I think it was a couple of tournaments ago, a couple of weeks ago, I saw uh, Lexi Thompson, what she had on and I loved it. She had this great Cobra black glove and she had this really great top. And I I tweeted straight to the to Cobra and and Puma, and I said, "What is this? Where is it? You know, I can't find it. it is this available?" And of course, I never heard back, unfortunately. But <laughs> I wish they would have. Wow. But you know, we're <laughs> watching, ridiculous. and c- consumers are watching, and female consumers are watching. And just because you're over the undesirable age of what is it, eighteen to forty five, if you're or forty nine, if you're above that, you know, we don't pay attention to you anymore. Kind of thing, it is important. you know I get on Cobra's website, and I know exactly what Ricky Fowler's wearing, and here's his stuff, and you know all this, and I look for Lexi, and it's nowhere. And so there is a I do believe a business case for that. She's out there. She's popular. people watch her. little girls are watching her as a model. and and so the things that she does, it's called modeling and consumer behavior. We're going to model our behavior. After a celebrity or somebody we we love or whatever a friend, um, so that does turn into consumption behavior in the end. So to ignore that, is is not a good idea. And, and plus, that doesn't help with longevity. You know, what are you going to do ten years down the road? Here's you know, the other Women thing, are Carly. not a part of that.
0: Here's the other thing. We know that they know it works because before each of the men's majors, they release the scripting of what. Tiger and Ricky and Mm -hmm. Dustin, Mm -hmm. are going to wear all four days so that Mm -hmm. come Monday morning you can walk into the shop and buy it. You can buy the the shirt that Dustin Johnson was Mm -hmm. wearing on Sunday. Do they not do that with the women? I've not seen it. But that doesn't mean they're not doing
2: it. I have it. not seen it. Um, in
0: which case, if they are doing it, they're doing it poorly. Lift your game.
2: Right. <laughs> Three committed right. golfers
0: here. None of us have seen any if indication. If I can't find it, right, then nobody you can Find yeah. it.
2: But <laughs> yeah, we're well, not yeah, so happy. yeah, it is pretty tough. But you're exactly right. You know, when I was working at that resort in Colorado, same thing. We knew exactly what Tiger was wearing, and we would have that hat available. For, for the next day and people would come get it. So
0: yeah, Sunday afternoon, you'd set up the displays, wouldn't you? Yeah. Wear what Tiger won, wore when he Absolutely. won the Masters yesterday. You can buy it right now this morning. It's never going to be worth any more yep. than it is right then. Mm.
1: The right. interesting issue that Lexi Thompson has as well is that she can't really wear that particular outfit again without attention being called to the fact that she's recycling something that she's worn before. Well, negative attention. If it was positive attention, wouldn't that be a good thing? Oh, look. There's somebody who wears something more than once. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mm. do – I I know there's something I've observed is that, um, you know, Daniel Kang or something will wear sort of – I guess the term would be sort of normcore type of like very mm-hmm. plain looking uh, mm-hmm. street clothes that don't draw any attention at all uh, mm-hmm. because uh, and then I think she can kind of wear those things day in, day out um, without, yeah. without, without drawing a didis, attention. It's is if I'm not
2: mistaken, yeah.
1: Is that right? Yeah. I, I, I think so. but yeah, there's there's something about like Lexi has this problem that she she's always. Um, going to attract life. attention mm-hmm. with yeah. whatever outfit she – and therefore she can't really wear them again. And sometimes with mm-hmm. what she to, does on the course, another controversy for uh, her over the weekend, yeah. the, the
0: rules thing. Didn't that I, get
1: I, crazy? It did get crazy. and It's not the sort of thing I, I just – not. I don't really, really want good. to lay into her on that. It's, yeah, it's tough. I don't know. It's a tough scene. Well,
0: the, rule, <laughs> mm-hmm. the ruling was made.
1: So, yeah. Yep.
0: Uh, that's that's it so so you think there might be a business case for the dif- the discrepancy between what we see with the men and the men. I, mean, I guess then the question becomes do you do you want to change that if you're in business kelly do you ignore 40 48 49% of the population of potential customers is that a good business model good idea
2: well you know we say in in social media that it's not always the best to have 5 million followers because what if only 500 of them are your true and brand ambassadors? So those folks, you know, the other ones that are out there may not be doing you any good at all. So, you know, it may be important to to really focus and micro market to a certain group. You may not want or need every single consumer that's out there, but the ones that you can get and the ones that you can have that relationship with and motivate them and those types of things then then that's profitable that's useful that's long term and then they're going to tell somebody else probably and so that network can can grow a little bit if it if it needs to mm.
0: Interesting, interesting stuff. Let's leave that and come back around to uh, the podcast. You've already told us that you've enjoyed doing it and that you get some feedback and that people are listening, so that's all a good thing. More broadly, a lot of what we're talking about are issues with media and media coverage of women and the women's game, from the professional top of the game right down to grassroots golf. Podcasting, like a lot of other things, blogging, YouTube, all of those things now, we can all access all those. There are liter- there are are well, There are almost no barriers to entry, Uh, You can spend lots of money on equipment if you wanted to to create a podcast, as I've done here. Uh, You can use your phone to create a podcast for free on Anchor, should you want to. So the barriers to entry are gone, and yet your podcast on the dance floor are the only two I can think of that are women-hosted golf podcasts. Uh, there may be others that I don't know about. I accept that. The Paige sporanic one. Uh, Paige Sprannik, sorry, also. Uh, I think she's in the I Heart Radio network, so that's a sort of a sponsor. It's a commercial. It's a bit of a different thing. Somebody's paying her to do a podcast as opposed to just go out and do a podcast of your own. Are women taking advantage enough, Kelly, of these opportunities? I don't know what you spent on your podcast. I think you already had a microphone, if I'm not mistaken, and you might pay 20 bucks a month for the hosting of the audio at fireside.fm, mm-hmm. by the way. Plug for mm-hmm. fireside. We use mm-hmm. it for all our podcasts, and That's I found that really good. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, I don't think a lot of women know that they're there. Um, the studies that I've read have said that, that men are more of the consumers of podcasts, younger ones, but. Um, that That may not necessarily be true for sports. I, you know, I'm not really sure about the breakdown, But you know, the more that we expose consumers to these types of things, to the podcast, then then that will help. And then that will create at least a little growth. And I, I realize that not there's not going to be a mask run for a, a podcast on women's golf, but what if the ones that cared about it listened? And that's what matters. Numbers aren't always, you know, the most important thing in the world. They are important, but it's, it's sort of like what I tell my students. They, they're so excited to learn about analytics, you know, marketing analytics and metrics and all these numbers and what can we do with this data and all that stuff. And I'll say the consumer behaviorist comes in and says, but what about the person behind that number? Why are they listening and, and what's it for? So that brings a, another angle that that really puts everything into perspective so hopefully more people will listen but we care about the one or the ones that care about it that's what matters is
0: this a broader media question it feels to me cuz the media as everybody knows is one of my favorite sort of mm-hmm. topics i don't pretend to be an expert i've worked in it for a long time but it's such a amorphous beast you couldn't i don't think anybody mm-hmm. could really understand it as a whole But loosely put, to put it in simple terms, 20 years ago, it was fairly simple. Most eyeballs wins. If 500,000 people are watching your television show, it's worth more to advertise on that because you get to more people. As those barriers have broken down, it seems to me that what's slowly happening is the reality of those 500,000 viewers is kind of what you're alluding to. It's quite possible that you're paying for 500,000 to really only get to 5,000 because the other 595 aren't interested in your product. So if I have a golf product, is it more sensible to me to advertise in a golf magazine that sells 20,000 or a daily newspaper that sells 500,000? Well, you could make the case, couldn't you, that the golf, the golf magazine is by far the better choice because every single one of its 20,000 readers are interested. You're not paying for anything that you don't want. That's sort of happening more broadly, don't you think, Kelly? That's kind of what podcasts do. This... The notion that what mainstream media is trying to do with podcasting in terms of monetizing, because it's the question. As soon as you tell people, "Oh, you know, I'm in podcast. Oh, how do you make any money? Do you make any money out of How do you make any money?" And th- it's a legitimate question, and there may be lots of different answers to it. It might be as sim- might not be as simple as what we've come to know in media in the past. But mainstream media people who've been in media all their life, their default position is there is a cost per thousand listeners. Mm-hmm. It might be ten bucks, twenty bucks, five bucks, whatever it might be. So that makes most podcasts financially unviable. There's more than a million podcasts in the world. Certainly not all of them are going to be, you know, <laughs> going to be a financial success. And for, for the most part, most people doing podcasts aren't doing it for a financial return. They're doing it as well, we certainly started State of the game eight years ago. It's kind of a little bit different. We're kind of journos in the industry, but it was more a passion project. You know, three people Mm -hmm. who like to talk about golf, and so we'd get on and talk about golf once you understood the technology and how to do it. So what does all that potentially mean for the future of media and this gender discussion? I mean, we focus on golf, but this is true more broadly as well, these same discussions, aren't they, Kelly? What might all that mean? And have you been surprised by anything having started your podcast? Because you've been writing a magazine for a women's – a column, sorry, for a women's magazine for some time. That's where I first saw you, and that's where we – sort mm-hmm. of got in touch and asked you to come on the show all that, all that time ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you been surprised by anything to do with the podcast? And what do you feel is the potential power? I mean, obviously, I'm invested in it. I would say that. I think podcasting, but I'm not sure people realise the potential of it necessarily yet. It's not mm-hmm. radio. People think it's radio, mm-hmm. time-shifted mm-hmm. like Netflix. Mm-hmm. It isn't that. It's very different to that, in fact. You know, people mm-hmm. seek you out
1: to mm-hmm. engage with it's you. much more niche. Like, Just look how bizarrely specific this conversation is that we're That's having. That's true. Like, and look, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts about
0: podcasts yeah. I heard one the other week where one of the guests has a podcast about the Rubik's Cube, which I thought was staggering until he revealed it was one of three out there <laughs> oh, wow. about the Rubik's Cube. I don't know whether <laughs> oh, they're wow. all still going. But more than that, Radio, it can be a background and often is a background. You get in a taxi, they got the radio on. You walk into a shop, mm-hmm. the radio is on. You might have the radio play in yep. the background while you do your own it's, work. It's literally broadcast. That's right. P- podcasting isn't that. Mm-hmm. Podcasting, you seek it out actively because somebody's told you about it or you've discovered it. Often, you put it inside your head with your earbuds, physically inside your head, yep. and you engage in a way it's with creepy. podcasting, and it's never, a, it's almost never a group activity. It's very much a solo activity, listening to podcasts. It's rare to listen to podcasts with others where the listening to the podcast is kind of the goal. So it's not. It's very different to radio for all those reasons. Mm-hmm. That's my uh, rant about mm. podcasting. But This has been podcasting with <laughs> Rod- Podcast Studios. <laughs> yes. But what have you found, Kelly, and have you been surprised by anything since you've gotten into it, having had uh, experience with other media, with written media and print media, mainstream
2: media? Hmm. Mm-hmm podcasting is such, is such a wonderful thing. I, and you're right there. There are so many out there, but they start to fall into, as you, as you know, categories and, and people do seek it out. It does make sense for, um, brands or organizations to advertise on them, especially when you are getting so close to your consumer, you know, you've really got to understand them, and what they like, and those are called psychodemographics, by the way. You're, you're marrying like your age and a hobby, for example. Um, you're bringing those together. So when you start talking about something so specific, then podcasting is the perfect answer to that. And, you know, a lot of my students listen to podcasts. I even know a couple that have their own. And it's a way to tell a story and it gets more personal you know all those types of things. and plus you can listen to it when you want to mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and any almost anywhere at any time. So I've learned that I've been able to to talk about the podcast in in more of a consumer sense and a business sense. Um, I was actually supposed to give a presentation earlier this year on podcasting. It was canceled, of course, due to COVID. So what a the, shame! The because I'd was given,
0: I gave you some statistics for that and everything.
2: Uh, yes, yes. But I have held on to it and I hope to use it in the future. <laughs> I believe I'll get to. They'll, they're, they're going to reschedule that. Um, so I'll finally get to tell everybody about it. But, um, you know, one of the things that I was going to bring up in that is, is why this makes so much sense As far as cost and that type of thing, because at this point with most podcasts from from what I've read and understood is that it's not as expensive as, you know, some other outlets. And I'm sure you probably know about that more than I do. Um, But but the cost is still reasonable well, for, the num- for brands to, to use Yeah, them.
0: well, depending on the pod- – some podcasts are mainstream yeah, media. Yeah, yeah. Joe Rogan huge, is mainstream yeah. media. Mm-hmm. You don't get a $100 million right, contract, right, right. but mm-hmm. doing a podcast from your, your land room once a month, right. that's a whole different thing. And his production costs are much, much, much higher yeah. than, oh, sure. than sort of yours or mine. The numbers, I think, are probably in terms of pot. – it's got nothing to do with golf, obviously. Although there are some very popular – there there are No Laying Up and Fried Egg are both clearly Uh, Mm. businesses Mm -hmm. and podcasting Mm. is a fairly significant part of that. So it's not completely Mm -hmm. non goalful The numbers, though, for potential advertisers are scary, I think, Mm -hmm. because broadly – I heard these figures the other day. If you you have a podcast that averages more than 123 downloads per, per episode or per month, I'm not sure, probably per episode, you're in the top 50%. Wow. So 50% of podcasts have an average of less than 123 listens. not a very high bar for that. If you get to 5,000 listens per episode, you're in the top 7% of the more than a million podcasts in the world, at Mm -hmm. 5,000. Yep. Now, advertisers, and big advertisers, especially the TaylorMades and the Callaways and anybody who's ever had experience with television, in Australia they talk in the hundreds of thousands to millions as a starting point and in america it would be in the millions to hundreds of millions probably or you know multiple tens of millions as a starting point so that notion of such a tiny audience on the in podcasting it's up to podcasting as an industry if there were such a thing to explain why that has some merit and that i think will be the tricky bit we have a sponsor here obviously with uh, the dot and i talk to aaron reasonably regularly he's always far too busy as am i but he hasn't researched it deeply enough, even for his own good. But he says he thinks it works. He was Uh looking for somewhere to advertise his business, an online apparel business. And he tried various- uh, Apparel. (laughs) Once he's got that on board, bang, he's going to go crazy. (laughs) But he'd tried, you know, print magazines and some online advertising, and he wasn't happy with the results of it. He was looking for somewhere to advertise. So in some ways, he's the perfect customer, I guess, Kelly. But Adrian, it was actually was chatting to him at a social function one night. I'd never met Aaron, and then Adrian introduces, and we talked. And so he's been sponsoring the network as a whole uh, for six or eight months now. So as I said, he's not. He doesn't know whether it's been, you know, whether he, he spends X dollars and gets X dollars plus one back or not. But he was looking for something to do, and he thought podcast – he'd listened to the podcast and thought it was interesting. So a bit like the women in golf issue, I think it's probably a slow burner, Kelly, but I think that that'll start to to make some strides. But I was just interested to get your feedback as a podcaster. So I guess I'm using my golf podcast to really do podcast research for my other yeah. business, aren't I? So,
2: well, I, you know, I've seen a, a lot more more reach with it. For example, we we have at our, our university – a lot of universities do this um, – they will compile – a report, basically, of any of the work that we've done and published. Um, and and we get to find out where it's coming from, you know where the downloads are coming from, who's who's read it, not specifically, but where they are, and what they downloaded. And so the the library does this for us, and they'll say, tell us what you've you've published, and we'll we'll give you this report and we can tell who's downloaded it. Well, I gave them some some other things that I've done academically, and I gave them, the podcast, and I gave them the the womensgolf.com article articles that I do, and so I get to see the reach that this has. You know, journal articles; these academic journal articles get read an average of maybe ten times in its life. <laughs> That's uh, unbelievable. But a podcast and the the stuff I've done otherwise. Has been downloaded, you know, a lot, lot, lot more, you know, ten times more than that, mm. and from all over the world. So it's it's just such a opportunity, you know, to to be able to to reach that many folks and to and to hear back from them, and you know, to know that a podcast how far it can really go a lot more than than a journal article. So and those are important scholarship, of course, but. But podcasting is just another avenue. It's another form of creative activity and another form of scholarship, actually.
0: A whole brand new world. Uh, Absolutely. You, we're, 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 we're part of it, and we're at the forefront of it, and we can always be proud of that. So that when Generation That's Alpha right. was it? Ooh.
2: Generation Alpha.
0: When Generation Alpha gets to our age, they can look back and say, those pioneers, they really did that well. Dr. P and Logan. and you, go. Logan there you go. and Clayton and Shackelford. They were really at the forefront of something there. Let's wrap it up for today. It's been an absolute joy, Kelly, to have you. It always is. TalkingGolf.com. People can find the the podcast, just the one G in Talking Golf. It's called On the Tee with Dr. P. And I recommend if you haven't listened yet, go back, start with some of the episodes that feature Dr. P Senior. Fantastic yes. stuff. She's we must yes. get her on this show at some point. I reckon she's a she's a cult character that could really take off. Fantastic. Absolutely. Great. Before I we
1: agree. go. <laughs> I, I just want to see if Kelly's got a golfing highlight. Oh, highlight of the week, of course. Mm. Yeah, sorry, that's my mistake. I forgot. What's your oh, your golfing gosh. highlight golfing of the week? Kelly?
2: Highlight of the week. Um you know <laughs> our course right now is playing they they've they've got it all set up for um. They had some club championships and all that stuff. So it's, it's set up really difficult, really difficult. And um, it's one of those where if you hit the ball and you get it just a little bit in the rough, it, it literally sinks down in that grass, and you can't see it. You can't find it. It's almost impossible. Ew. So, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And this is, it's one of those little teeny things that when you find that ball that you think you lost— then it be, it becomes the biggest thing in the world. You didn't lose this ball. <laughs>
1: it doesn't that's, say that's much good for us golf. That's good. Does
2: that See, it I'm doesn't actually.
0: Much.
1: I've got I've got a very similar highlight. <laughs> I uh, I was looking for a ball and uh, in in the rough, and I found another ball, which like this brand new. I won't even say what brand it was, but I, I'll. I've, if I find a ball, I'll just take it because it's the mm-hmm. – the economy of golf. It's, it's the economy, economy well, of golf. Well, yeah, exactly. But it was, it was brand new. It, like someone had hit it once into that spot and then lost it. Mm-hmm. And I, But I thought, but it's possible that somebody could have hit it here from one adjoining fairway. But as luck would have it, in about 10 minutes, I was going to be coming back by there because the fairway sort of double back. And I thought, if it's still there when I come back, <laughs> I'm taking that. <laughs> <laughs> but see, we
2: all know exactly. And what I back, about, I And I came back, and it was
1: still so. there. Oh, that, that went straight cool. into my bag. Fantastic! That That's reminds me highlight
0: of the week. You probably heard it, Conor Lewis, on the Talking Golf History podcast, which is uh, always a terrific listen. I can't remember the name of the club. I think it starts with "Z." It. It's a very strange club somewhere in the states. And he went there and he played around. They've got these amazing club rules, and one of them is. There's no such thing as a lost ball. Yeah. It will eventually be found. Mm. So what it actually is is a stolen ball, and why should you be penalised for somebody else stealing your ball? Exactly. Therefore, drop one here and continue without penalty. Yeah. That's <laughs> that little nine-hole private yeah, what's private it, called? It's, yeah, it's a, that's a, it was a fantastic yeah. episode. I really enjoyed uh, mm. listening to it. Kelly, it's been fantastic to have you along. really appreciate you uh, taking the time. I look forward to chatting again in the not-too-distant future.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It is so much fun to talk to both of you. I really enjoy it. Thank oh, you.
0: You probably need help, Kelly. That's not a healthy outlook on life. But we appreciate you saying so. It's very kind of you. Logue, been terrific to talk to you as always, mate. And I love your highlight this week. Perhaps next week you can find half a bottle of water or something, and <laughs> that'll make you sick. Let's just see if it's what still, there in, yeah, minutes, <laughs> it's still there in 10 minutes. I'll take that. I'll rinse off the top there, and then that'll be mine. It'll be all good. Thanks, mate. Great to chat today. Thanks, Rod. Episode 46, Good Good Golf Podcast. Mostly about golf, a bit about podcasting, but there you go. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Look forward to your company again when we do it all again next week on episode 47 of
2: the Good Good Golf Podcast.